Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled True Happiness, Part 3. In our previous class before Pesach, we spoke outside. We're going to be on page 114. In our previous class, we discussed the idea length of finding happiness in hard times. Today we're going to see it inside. But just to review for a moment. Previously in the Tanya, in the last 25 chapters, we discussed two methods of revealing our love for Hashem, whether it's through, through revealing who we are or whether it's creating within ourselves a love. And chapter 26 started off by saying that no matter how great your love is, sadness, melancholy, and depression can completely throw someone off course. And we have to remove every trace of sadness from within us. Okay, it's easy to say. How do we do it? And we're holding tonight, we're going to start learning inside the methods that the Alter Rebbe is going to present on how to get over any trace of sadness. Tonight in particular we're going to discuss getting over sadness from material items. In the words of the Alter Rebbe we're going to discuss getting over sadness from even issues of health, wealth, and children. Or in the appropriate order, the appropriate order would be Banai, children, Chayai, health, and Mazainai, and sustenance. Aggressions from children should be first. Let's throw ourselves right in. Page 114, left column. Page 114, left column. Beginning of the first paragraph. The following is sound counsel. We all have it. Again, that's page 114, in the middle of chapter 26, left column. <clears throat> so how do we overpower and remove any trace of sadness? The following is sound counsel as to how to cleanse one's heart of all sadness and of every trace of worry. This, this is tremendous words here. We're going to now see a method of removing any trace of sadness, of worry about mundane matters, even about children, health, and sustenance. So how can we overpower the powerful sadness from such great issues and true issues, again, these are not, we're not saying that you're not going through a hard time. We're, we're saying some, someone is unfortunately going through a really tough time in serious matters of children, health, and sustenance. Nonetheless, we're going to now discuss a method of removing sadness. Everyone is familiar with the statement of the rabbis. That just as one must recite a blessing for the good, one must also recite a blessing for misfortune. This is a Mishnah tracted Brachot. The Mishnah tells us that the same way you make a blessing 
on something, something good, you need to make a blessing for misfortune. And so this is what the Mishnah says. The Gemara says, what do you mean just like? What do you mean the same way you make a blessing on something good, you need, you need to make a blessing on something bad? Doesn't mean you need to make the same blessing. Asks the Talmud. Does anyone know, could you, can you call out, what blessing do you make on something good? The blessing is generally, Hatov HaMetiv. Unfortunately, on something really bad, what's the blessing? Dayan at the true judge. So the Talmud cannot be saying that just like you make the blessing of Hatove HaMetiv on something really good, you should make the same blessing of Hatove HaMetiv on something really bad. That's not true. So what does the Mishnah mean when it says, just like you bless on something good, you bless on something bad? Continues the Gemara. In the Gemara, is it explained that one should accept misfortune with joy, like the joy of a visible and obvious benefit? Wow. So just like you make a blessing on something good, how do we understand the Mishnah now? With the same energy, with the same excitement that you make a blessing when you found out that you, that you just, after someone has just given birth, with the same excitement that you make when you win the lottery, that same excitement says the, says the Mishnah you need to have when you hear something truly sad. Something tragic. How, how can that be? How can that be? And here we're going to jump, jump straight into it. How can you be happy about something sad? For this is also for the good. For this is also for the good except that it is not apparent and visible to mortal eyes. Why not? How could it be something is good, but we can't see it? Because it stems from the hidden world, which is higher than the revealed world. It stems from the hidden world, which is higher than the revealed world. And as we discussed in the previous class, we can't understand Hashem. The parts Hashem allows us to understand come from a lower aspect of Hashem. The greater aspect of Hashem, the less we understand. The greater aspect of Hashem that, we're, that is, being under, is being discussed, the less we are going to understand of it. So when we understand how something is good, we understood it, we grasped it. That means it is coming from a level of Hashem which is understood to us. It's coming from a lower level of Hashem. When we don't understand something, it is coming from a level of Hashem that is even higher than our understanding. You've all heard this, the expression this is also for the good. Two stories are shared of Nachum, Ish Gamzu, and of his disciple of Rabbi Akiva. Nachum Ish Gamzu, unfortunately, he lived a really tough life. 
he, he, at the end of his life, he had some tremendous ailments. He lived a very painful life. And the way he accepted what he went through was something unbelievable. But at one specific period in his time, there was a issue where the Jewish people needed to send a representative to the um, to the I don't remember if it was a king at the time but they needed to send the representative we'll call it for our context to the king on behalf of the Jewish people and the com- Jewish community as a whole they put together a big treasure chest and they chose Nahum to be the man who's going to deliver this to the king okay he didn't want to but Nahum with his famous quote he says, Gamzulatova, this will also be for the good. It's going to be good. He goes to an inn on his way, and I'm sure many of you have heard this story. That night, he goes to sleep with the treasure in his room, and he wakes up. First thing he does is he checks, checks the treasure chest, and what is inside of it? Sand. What? Sand. A thief came in the middle of the night, took the jewels, and filled up the chest with sand. So now he's in double trouble. The Jewish people are going to be furious. He can't go to the king. But he says, Gamzulatova, this is also for the good. He goes to the king. And he presents to the king his sand on behalf of the Jewish people. The king says, Let, let's, let's, let's kill this guy. <laughs> so all of a sudden, a man comes and says, let's not kill him yet. He's a crazy Jew, but he's not the first Jew that brought sand. <laughs> <laughs> we know Abraham Avram Avinu, he had a big, there was a big war he was fighting, and the Medrash says that Avram took sand, his army took sand and threw it, and the sand became spares. And with that, they won the war. He said, maybe this is the Jewish people's sand. We'll take it to the battlefield and we'll find out. And they took it to the battlefield and it turned into arrows. So now, not only is the king going to do whatever Nachum wants, he wants to reward him. And he gives him a massive treasure. So the Talmud continues the story. It doesn't, con- doesn't, compl- doesn't end here. Remember, in everything he does, he's saying, Gamzulatova. Everything God does is for the good. He goes, he heads back home, but he needs to stay again overnight. So he heads back to the same inn where, he lo- where the thief came from. And the thief had been the owner of the inn. The owner of the inn sees this guy back. He was expecting him dead. You know, he sees him back. He says, what, what happened? He says, what do you mean? I went to the king and he, he loved the sand. He gave me this massive treasure. So now the man's like, well, that was my sand. Right? I filled up your treasure chest with the sand. I, I, I know where the sand came from. He filled up a massive chest with sand and took it to the king. He had a little different ending. But uh, we see here that everything Hashem does is for the good. (coughs) And 
When it's happening, we may not understand it. Sometimes at the end, we may. Let me share with you one more story of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva had a famous quote. He didn't say everything is for the good. He said, whatever Hashem does must be for the good. He, had, he already, we learned, had a little less of, an, of, of belief in this idea. It was harder for him to really accept. Nachum was a generation prior. He was able to say, everything Hashem does is for the good. Nachum was able to say, this is good. Rabbi Akiva, a generation later, he, he didn't say this is good. He, he had an understanding that everything God does is for the good. But he wasn't able to appreciate always the good within it. What's, what's the story of Rabbi Akiva? Rabbi Akiva was going on a journey. And on the journey he had with him, who knows? A rooster. And a, and a candle. And a... Boom. And a donkey. <laughs> you won the jackpot. <laughs> he goes to sleep that night. The donkey dies. The rooster is taken away and the candle goes out. Here he is. I forgot to mention that that night he was he went he was by the outskirts of a city. He knocked and he was trying to stay by... He wasn't able to stay by anyone's home. So he's in the field and he loses everything. He doesn't have his candle. He doesn't have his rooster, his donkey. Later that night he hears, he hears that the city has been attacked. And the fact that his candle went out and... No one saw him, and the rooster didn't make any noise. That effectively, that effectively saved his life. So sometimes we can see how what's happening in our lives is for the good. At the moment, we may not see it, but sometimes, years later, we could see the good that came from it. But what we're learning here is that even if you never understand... That is coming from a, a place within Hashem that is higher than what we do understand. Yes, David. Is that word Rahman, is it the same root as Rahman is? Yes, yeah, yeah. So, let's go a step further and then we'll, we'll put this together. Hashem's name has how many letters? Could you show me with your fingers? Four letters of Hashem. And they are... Yud, then a hey, then a then a fantastic. The first two letters, the yud and the hey, are the energy of the concealed world. Something we don't understand comes from the first two letters of Hashem's name. What we do understand comes from the last two letters of Hashem's name, which are Vavanda. Hey. So when we say the word ka, just the yud and the hey itself is also God's name. That is a level of Hashem which is not understood. And now we could understand that. Let's, let's continue inside of Tanya. Again, we're on page 114, left hand column. And we are eight lines from the bottom. The ladder, meaning the revealed world, where, where does it come from? Emanating from the letters Vav and He. 
The revealed world comes from the last two letters of Hashem's name, of the name of Havaya. Whereas the hidden world represents the letters Yud and Hey, the first two letters. And with this, we could understand what King David tells us in Psalms, hence the meaning of the verse, Ashrei HaGever Asher Tiyasarenuka, fortunate, lucky is the man who you chastise, O Lord. Lucky is the man, fortunate is the man whom you chastise, O Lord. Now, let's look in note 10. When King David, when David HaMelech said, Fortune is the man whom God chastises, what name of God did he use? He used the letters Yud and then a Hey. Let's look at note 10. The name of the Lord is spelled here, Ka, Yud Hey. Thus the misfortunes are blessings in, the, in disguise originating in the hidden world. Now that we understand that the letters Yud and Hey of Hashem's name are higher than our understanding, so when David HaMelech said, Fortunate is the man whom you chastise, what was he saying? He was saying, Lucky is someone who Hashem connects with them from a level that is higher than understanding. <coughs> Lucky is the man whom Hashem connects with you on a level higher than our understanding. Let's try and put this all together. What is the ultimate in this world? The ultimate in this world is to connect with Hashem. To unite with Hashem. If that is the ultimate, then the ultimate connection with Hashem comes when we don't understand. Our understanding means that we're connecting with a lower level of Hashem. If the ultimate in this world is to connect with Hashem, then the less we understand of what Hashem is doing, the greater our connection. It's like saying ignorance is bliss. That's so low. Let's Sorry. No, no, please. Let, let's, let's, take some, let's talk about this. Let's take some questions. Let's take some questions. Yes, David. If I may attempt recapitulation. Therefore, this is the fulfillment of what we covered earlier, that, a, that one level of being part of Tzadikim there's he who was predestined, and then there is he who rises to that status by his willingness to accept misfortune and still have faith. What was that part to begin with in the Tanya? And how does it connect with this? I think in a later class we're going to go back to that piece of Tanya within, in the next chapter. Repeat your question, maybe I didn't understand. In the beginning, did we not discuss that a person who accepts misfortune rises up from evil beyond into a higher level of tzaddik than somebody who is predestined to be a tzaddik? And that you are accepting a benoni is uh, a sufficiency 
but, uh, but being a tzaddik involves willingness to accept misfortune and still maintain faith. I thought that Did was I? Sin, I thought that's one a sinner, not not one who accepts misfortune, can rise higher than a tzaddik when he repents his sins. I perhaps misunderstood that there was a connection in that a sinner denies God in the face of adversity. Am I complicating this unnecessarily? Maybe we'll talk about this after class. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not, the truth is I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the question is. Let's, let's talk about it after class, if you don't mind. Okay. This is another unique way to keep us hooked. <laughs> okay. Um, any other comments or questions? No, it's all good? <laughs> you want to share a thought? Me? Yeah. Oh, I was just being tickled on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's... It's a... It is a deep level. So I, I have a thought. Please. <laughs> Possibility. So, um, it seems if you're m more willing to accept misfortune, you'll be in a better frame of mind moving forward, right? And, and time is precious. It, we're, we're, no, no. Here we're learning much deeper than that. Yeah. We're learning not only that to, to accept the misfortune, but to really view the misfortune as a blessing. Just one moment. We're, 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 we're learning here much, much deeper. So it's a mood adjustment. It's an attitude adjustment. But, it, well, it's a reality we're learning here. That you are, yeah, yeah. You are connecting with God in a greater way than anything, anything that can be understood. I do have a question. Is there a grace period here? When, I mean, that... <clears throat> It sounds wonderful, philosophically. And I do understand. <laughs> to me, it sounds scary, actually. <laughs> but I, I understand. Yeah. That, but if you're in that instant and something incredibly horrible happens in front of you, let's say with somebody you love, whatever, I'm not, I'm not saying well, thank you. So you know what I mean? I mean at, at some point? I got the question. I got the, I know, it's a very good question. Um, I, I want to get back to I want to get back to your question, okay. but I wanted to. You, you also had a question. Well, there's, a, there's been many instances in my life where I have seen how a somewhat tragic situation actually was a gift and a hmm. blessing. Um, Could you give an example, if you're comfortable? Yeah. Um, when I was in my twenties, I had my wisdom teeth out, and I was allergic to the medication that they gave me in the dentist's office. And it caused my brain to go into a state of short-term memory forgetfulness. Mm -hmm. And for six months, everything I did, I could not remember two seconds after I did it. And it put me into a state of being that I had to reach very, very deep inside and really, truly believe in God and have faith because that was the only way I could survive. And it was through that experience that my faith grew. <clears throat> Over time, those pieces of memory came back. 
And that was also a blessing. But I cherish those six months, which in some ways was very, 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 very difficult. And yet in that difficulty, it caused my faith to grow enormously. Wow, that's, that's powerful. Thank you for sharing. Seeing the good in everything. So we had a good question, which is, does sadness not exist? Is there no place for sadness? Anger, that was, anger was involved there too. Is there no place for anger? anger yeah. So, firstly, I want to review something we mentioned last time, which is here we're learning the blessing that these challenges bring. But we ask Hashem every day, do, please, Hashem, do not bring me to a tough situation. We do not ask Hashem to give us challenges. We are, not, we are not supposed to ask Hashem to give us challenges. But nonetheless, we're learning that when someone is going through a challenge, this is a true understanding that can help them get through it. But again, even though this may bring about such a tremendous unif- unification between the person and Hashem, this is something we ask Hashem not to bring us to. That's number one, as a preface, although we're learning what an amazing, uh, what an amazing um, connection this is, we, want to, we ask Hashem not to bring it upon us. Number two is, there is place for sadness in the Torah. The Torah requires sadness at times. You know, you, you speak about real tragedy, you speak about death, the Torah has a method of how to deal with it. And part of that method is that, it, that you must mourn. You are not allowed to go ahead and go to parties for a year and just celebrate. You are not allowed to wear leather shoes. You have to tear your clothing. You have to do items that actually will, will, will um, help you express your sadness. So actually, as Jews, we are lucky that the Torah itself helps us deal with our emotions. Um, it's, it's kind of sad, but nonetheless it's true. I've heard people share how lucky they feel that as Jewish people we have, so to say, almost a protocol of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate in every time period of our life. So is there a place for sadness? Yes. Is there a place for anger? Not really. That's a, it's human nature. We have to. Anyway, I think the word that messes me up is joyful. Yeah. Being joyful. Yeah. It does not seem appropriate. Uh, because I, I basically understand that what comes out the other end of something tragic or whatever, the other end with Hashem and so on. Um, Could you give me, see, I, tell me, give me an example of what you're thinking about. Well, somebody that you love is murdered. No. So then, you see, I, I want to go away from that's, someone yeah. else dying. Because over there, the Torah tells us that you need to be sad. Okay. So I want to talk about, tell me, give me a different example. Hmm. Well, see, that was what I was and, on. And give me an example yeah. about yourself. Something horrible that would happen to me. I don't mind, no, not, not you. 
<laughs> Some, something ter- terrible that would happen to John, but I, but just like it, let's talk about the person himself. Oh, so somebody is on the edge economically and they lose their job and they have a family to support. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that would be very. Very what? Sad. Sad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Why is it sad? Because but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go through some steps with you. Yeah. I understand exactly why it's sad. <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless, I want to try and bring out this point. Okay. So I'm not oblivious to why it's sad. But I just want to I want to discuss this point. So tell me why is it sad? Well, it's sad because he can lose everything in the world. He can't feed his family. Uh, uh, okay. Who knows the ramifications of what could happen? He could lose wife, kids, everything. So, is it in his hands or is it in God's hands? Well, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yes. <laughs> he, he didn't make... It's all in God's hands. And, Hash, and Hashem tells us, all I want from you is you do your part. And these things happen. I respectfully disagree. The Talmud and... Well, the Torah first and the Talmud says... You take care of yourself, and God will also take care of you. You're not supposed to just sit there and say, eh. you're supposed to get out and show your faith by your actions. But you can still take action. Right. I'm, we're not disagreeing. I'm just saying if someone is going through, if someone just lost their job, if someone just lost their job, so what are the different emotions? Of course, they could be sad, that they don't have any money to support themselves or their family with. They could be angry at God. Fear. Fear. Or they could take a novel approach. Mm-hmm. True, but not novel. Novel means new. It's not new. They could take the, a, a, tough, a tough but true approach, which is every single thing in this world is pre... Is, preordained by God. The fact when a leaf falls. So you lost your job because that's what Hashem has planned for you right now. Like the previous Rebbe said, he said, you could worry as much as you want. Your worry will not affect the outcome. Hashem has a plan for you already. So, if someone loses their job, the true approach is this is from Hashem I've done my part and I'm going to continue to do my part but Hashem has lovingly put me in this scenario and I love Hashem and this is the greatest connection I'll ever have with Hashem so let's, let's keep on fighting it's not going to stop him to David's point it's not going to stop him from finding a new job he's not living in a fantasy land he recognizes he lost his job but be, he'll be able to take, accept that challenge not only, not only without sadness, but with true joy if he's able to live that newfound connection he has with Hashem. That challenge I understand what the joy is yeah. yeah. I, I Like I said with you, I'm not oblivious to what you're saying. Right. Here I'm, try, I'm trying to share something that I wish I could be on this level. I also pray to God that I don't get such challenges. Right. But I wish that this is a level I can't obtain. But I understand your point. Gary has a question. 
Yeah, yeah, Garrison, please. It's, it's a comment, and they take too much time. Uh, on Pesach, Rabbi Moti's father-in-law, uh, he, he told a story. Uh, it's almost along these lines. What's, what's he called, a shamash or a shamash? person takes care of the synagogue. Comes from the old, comes from the old country. He's 65 years old. Doesn't speak a word of English. And then the new rabbi, I don't know if you heard this. And the new rabbi or the president comes and says, "We've got a younger crowd here. Get with the program. You've got a year to learn English, or you're fired." I don't know if you've heard this story. So the man is petrified. He still has a family to support. A year comes. He doesn't know a word of English. He loses his job. He's just Decimated. Uh, devastated. Sorry. It's late. And then, um, so he starts pedaling on the street a little bit here, a little bit there. Pretty soon he's making as much money as he was at the shul. Then he invests a little bit in real estate. Still doesn't speak any English. He goes to the bank one day and the, I don't know how the teller communicates with him. I didn't get that part of the story. The teller says, Look at you. You're 70 years old. You have all these investments. Look at what you did without speaking a word of English. Uh, you could do so much more if you learned English. He said, are you crazy? I'd still be a shaman since the show. It's kind of a long road. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I'm sorry, you had another comment? Yeah, I just want to, forgive me, but take a little issue with your comment on anger, and that anger is never appropriate. For me, I feel like anger is also a gift from God, and that anger can be used both destructively but also constructively. And anger, the feeling of anger is an energy that can be used to motivate and to move mountains. Yes. <laughs> if used wisely and constructively. So there are some items. I, I get the point. You're saying anger has, has value. I, um, there, there are a few items. In general, we learn that everything that we've been graced with in life, we have to go in the middle ground. That's a gener general rule of thumb. There are few items that we learn. These items, although they can be used for the good, the danger of them is much greater, and we should try and stay away. And one of those is anger. The Rambam shares that, there, yes, anger can have, can have good outcomes, but the, the challenge that it brings the, is something that we should... It's better to completely stay away from anger. So I don't know if we're arguing. I think you, you had a good observation um, that there is good in it. But um, I'm just pointing out that we, we're taught to try and stay away from it completely. It didn't help Moshe Avino, did it? Anger did not help. <laughs> so now we're going to learn the reward of someone that rejoices in a challenge. Talmud shares, let's continue, again, 114 left, left-hand column, second to last line. Therefore, the rabbis of blessed memory commented that it is to those who rejoice in their afflictions, rejoice in their afflictions, 
that the verse refer, refers, but they that love him shall be as the sun going forth in its might. They that love him shall be as the sun going forth in its might. The Talmud says, who loves God? What is the definition of someone who loves God? Someone that rejoices in affliction. If you want to be called someone that loves God, you rejoice in affliction. Dr. Yosef, please. Um, would, you, would you say that this would apply to affliction on yourself, but not to somebody else? I mean, in other words, you could, you could have this attitude with, you know, something happened to you, but if something bad happened to your neighbor or friend or patient, you know, then you shouldn't have this attitude. With, you shouldn't have which attitude? <laughs> well, you shouldn't joy. find joy in it. No, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Well, thank God once you stumbled and fell and broke your nose. <laughs> Be joyful. <laughs> Aren't you lucky? Aren't you lucky? <laughs> yeah. Affliction from somebody else can cause you just as much grief as if affliction may happen to you. And being a physician, you know that uh, because of the grief that a person assumes post-traumatic stress is an ultimate example of that. So, in order to find reason in irrationality, a faith in Hashem is a path back to being able to function in a positive way as I see it. Isn't it more trust in Hashem than faith? You can believe in Hashem, but takes a lot of trust. Trust and belief. That would be uh, a, s- a series of classes on its own. It's a very good question, the difference between trust and belief. I'd, I'd rather not go there for now, but it's, it's a very good observation. Should you rejoice in other people's suffering? Well, what, what I'm saying is, is this what he's saying? Does it only apply to your suffering uh, or, or suffering you observe somebody else? I mean, does it make a difference? I would think it might. I'm not sure I understand the question, so let me share a point and maybe that will address it. Every challenge, whoever, any, any person that goes through a challenge, that is coming from a level of Hashem that is higher than without the challenge. That's regardless of me or you. Should I be happy for someone who's going through a challenge? Absolutely not. Can I have a conversation with a person going through a challenge and share with them the light side of it or the good within it? Yes. When someone comes to you as a, as a physician, someone comes to you, they're going through a tough time. So are you just going to Are you just going to tell them what a terrible scenario, or are you going to try and encourage them through it? Well, you try and encourage them through. Right. Yeah. So what we're learning here is an encouragement through it. We're not laughing at someone. No, 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 no. We're not rejoicing. We're we're not rejoicing with them. We're we're telling them though that there is happiness that can be found. 
in the situation they find themselves. Did that, did that answer the question? No, I, I, Dr. Hill had a good question. I want to... Uh, maybe, I, maybe I missed it. Let me say it. Let me kind of say it in other words. As Jewish people, and as human, as decent human people, we... Let me give you another example. Another method of understanding challenges, well, this is not a Hasidic approach, but another method is when a challenge happens to a person, the person could say, I know why I'm getting it because I sinned. But if someone else gets a challenge, do you say, oh, he deserves it. What a sinner? God forbid. So we always have to, our understanding of ourselves and of someone else is certainly going to be very different. But with this specific point that we're discussing, that challenges our connection to Hashem that is greater, that's true regardless of me or you. Well, there's a whole book that's the essence of Job. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Yosef, did that address the question? Maybe you'll think about it more and you can tell me. <laughs> In a way, it's almost easier to say, well, you know, this bad thing had happened to me, and therefore it's an opportunity for me to get closer to Hashem. Right. But, but, but I mean, it's harder to say that if it happens to somebody else, I think. Maybe. Why? Why? You're not judging them. You see, if you're judging them, that's that's a problem. No, 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 no. Um, Would you accept that it? it it's it's. Uh, it sounds paradoxical. I mean, I don't, it, I mean it, it is paradoxical. It sounds paradoxical because, uh, but. Um, I guess simplified. We don't understand at that point. I guess is. I'm trying to. I understand what you're, you're, you're saying, but trying to verbalize it too is kind of tough. There is so a point. It hurts themselves. Something bad happens to somebody. We're not joyful for it necessarily. Say it's a child. Yeah, or, uh, we're not joyful, but we should realize that it's already. This is already pre-planned and that we don't know what's going to come out at the other end, but it's probably going to be positive, or will be positive. Make any more sense here? I think in some ways it's like finding the silver lining in every bad situation. You don't ask for the situation, but if somebody is suffering through a bad situation, not that I'm joyful for that situation, but I go in and I work with them and say, okay, this is the situation, this is a gift from God, and let's look for the silver lining. Let's look for the gift within the tragedy. I would, I would find it very difficult to say to somebody else who was suffering that this is a gift, this is a gift right. from God. I, I, would, I would find it, I, I would not think it would be appropriate. Uh, I would, no. you know, maybe you could say in regard to yourself, but to say to somebody else, this is a gift from God, it's the last thing in the world I would do. No, and actually, I'm happy you clarified it. I think, I think you just perhaps shared the question and the answer. We did not learn here this is a gift from God. 
we are not saying that Hashem is going to reward you with this challenge. We are saying that if someone has it, if someone is going through a challenging time, then within that challenge, they are experiencing something very deep. So if someone is going through, let's take an example, someone lost their job. If you come and go to, and you give them a hug and you start kissing them and saying, wow, you're so lucky, perhaps that's not appropriate. But if you have a conversation with them and you say that within this challenge, there is, you, there is deep and true energy that's true. And that could probably be empowering to the person you're talking to. My life experience tells me, and it's only applicable to me, I don't like to say, so this is what you all need to do, that one needs to have constructive empathy. And if one fails to do that, then he cannot relate to the person who is suffering. But he cannot let empathy overwhelm him to the degree that he suffers equally with the person who is suffering. Otherwise, when one is in a counseling and or a punishing role, one loses perspective and is unable to perform his function. That's true. That's true. I think what we're going to do is, we're going to summarize, think about it, and I invite you to call or email questions, and maybe next week we could try and discuss whatever has come up. So let's summarize what we've learned. We've learned that Hashem has allowed us to understand part of Him. But that is the lower part of Hashem. The greater, the greater parts of Hashem, the holier parts of Hashem are not understood. So when things happen to us that are not understood, they are coming from and connecting us with a level of Hashem that is much greater. So with this, we can, someone going through a challenge can find some deep meaning and joy within that by recognizing that he is connecting with Hashem on a level that is much deeper than otherwise. We'll conclude here. Please, please, I'd love, I would love it if people 